Yeah, don't forget, you know, next week it's going to be a really, really special time. We just wanted to, you know, um, Max was saying, hey, why don't you just do it all combined, you know, church plant commissioning and, and his law. But you know what? We just wanted to really, um, I wanted to really honor Max for all the, um, and his family for all the, uh, the years of service. So 9 o'clock is our service. And then after that, we're going to have the, the food and fellowship. So, but don't just come to that because we're going to give tickets out during the service. So if you don't have a ticket, you're not beginning no food for the start. You just can come, but, you know, just going to watch everybody to eat. No, I'm just No, we might do that. I don't know. I think we should do that, right? Cheryl, should we do that? They have tickets? That'd be hilarious, right? Then people come late like, oh, what happened? You know? How come I don't get lobster and crab, you know, all that stuff? In? <clears throat> yeah, we'll do that. But, but it'll be a great time looking, um, looking forward um, to that. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking, kind of, we're going to be looking at parts of the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of, probably one of my favorite um, books of the Bible. Um, it's really a great study of leadership in leadership. And there's so much uh, leadership lessons that you can learn that I've really gleaned from and and learn from, but it's also um, a really great testimony of what God can do through, like, just one individual, you know, to really actually impact an entire nation. And so it's really a significant um, testimony there. Uh, Nehemiah was, was um, what, you know, we would typically call, like, a lay person. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, um, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't uh, a prophet. You know, he wasn't a prophet like Malachi. He wasn't a, um, a priest like Ezra. Um, he just had like a secular job, you know, like most all of you. He was what was known as he was a cupbearer to the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And, you know, some of you know, but, an, but a, a cupbearer was a just really trusted official. He had to be trusted because what his whole job was, was he would, you know, taste the wine um, that was he poured actually he poured and tasted the wine um, before they give it to the king. In the event that the king wasn't that popular and somebody wanted to poison him, you know that was the cup bearer's job. So like you know if you like wine, that that would be a really cool job to have, unless you know someone was trying to poison the king and then that's a terrible job because you die. But that was his job, you know. And uh, so here's here's uh, Nehemiah, and he's in Persia. And um, it's now been about 70 years where the people of Israel was exiled to Babylon. And they were beginning to be allowed back to go back to Jerusalem. And they were beginning to go back and um, rebuild uh, the, the city, you know. And so they were there and they began to work on the temple. The temple was the heart of the city where they would all go to worship God. So here's, here's Nehemiah. He's, um, he's in Persia, and that he receives word that, um, that you know, they're, they're, they're going back, but the city is a mess. You know, the city is a mess. And he hears about how the city is in such disrepair that he just, he becomes just really brokenhearted. That he's brokenhearted at the thought of his beloved city being all messed up in what it was. But, but, but the exciting thing is is God used this one man, Nehemiah, to head up the rebuilding of the walls and the gates and all that stuff. 
and, and really actually to lead the nation back into the worship of the one true God and, and really begin to lead them back to the proper focus on God because that was the whole deal where they kind of messed up and they, they began to follow different gods and they began to you know, worship different idols and all this stuff. And they got messed up and they got warning after warning after warning, but they would never go back. And so God just allowed them to be exiled to Babylon. <clears throat> so now they're finally back. And I really love how God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of this city in Jerusalem, of the city of Jerusalem, and how families and, and individuals all came together. And everybody did something. Everybody was significant. That everybody had an assignment and a part of the wall that they needed to, to work on. And there were much challenges. There were much challenges from the outside, the inside. And, and it was really a daunting task. That this, this wall was, was huge. You know, they, they estimated to be about 40 feet high, about 8 feet wide. It was um, 8 feet thick, I should say. Um, it was about two, two and a half miles worth of wall that they, they, they needed to build. They had like about 30, 34 watchtowers, and there were like about seven main gates. And, you know, it was, it was a task that they were, um, they were undertaking, you know. And um, the interesting thing, is when you think about how big this task was, to think that they finished it in 52 days. That in 52 days, it was a miracle. How did they do this? How did they accomplish this amazing, amazing feat? In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and they were humiliated. They were trying to stop this. Okay? They didn't want <clears throat> them to finish the job. And then they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. See, that's how they knew that. That was how they were able to get this done. And that's why, you know, what we're talking about is that, you know, God used one guy. And he changed the world. And it took 52 days. And so the, the challenge we have, the, the encouragement we have is, is, what can we do? What is God calling us to? That what could happen in a mere 52 days? See? And that's what this is all about. And in this exciting, exciting and transi transitional time for us, you know, there's going to be, I mean, <clears throat> it starts off with us being, really the, having the privilege of, of launching and sending out another church. Some churches never have. Some churches never have that blessing. You know? and, and some churches, <clears throat> you know, you know, when there are thousands of people, they begin to think, well, maybe we should do this. But man, we got a privilege. You know, we helped start a Hawaii China Mission Church and Streams of Life, but, but this one's different. You know, and and, and it all starts here. But that's not the only transition that, um, that God is doing in our church. That is the beginning. That is like where it kicks off. And, you know, we've been talking about how 
Um, we're entering a season of KCF 2.0. It really is. That is really different and it's really exciting. And it's going to take every single one of us. And, you know, Nehemiah is such an encouragement to us because, because it's a reminder that God uses all kinds of people. That God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of places doing all kinds of work. That, that you don't have to be in the ministry. You don't have to be a pastor type person. That God isn't limited by your vocation. You know, in fact, in fact, God has placed you right where he wants you to be. That you're going to make an impact right where you are. You know, those of you who are teachers and those of you who work in a school, <clears throat> you have an impact and an influence that I don't have. You know, that, that oh, but you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor. You've got an influence with hundreds of students. You might be in a hospital. You might be in an office. God placed you there to make an impact. You know? And God will use you. And God calls us to make a difference. That God has called us. God's call. You know, if there's anything, you know, as I've been thinking about, like, you know, uh, with, with, uh, with the, the church plant, you know, uh, being sent out and all that, you know, I've been, I've been really thinking about, you know, what is it that God has called us to do? And that has never changed. That God has called us to go out, to send, to go out into the world, to send people out, to go out, and to make an impact. You know, it was mm, maybe now, maybe 20 years that, that I thought about a generation that was known as Generation X. And it's one of those really interesting things. Right? You had like boomers and you had the World War II generation. And here was, here was coming up this generation that it was just known as X. And it was a generation below me. And about 20 years ago, I just started to have a heart for that generation. And, you know, we would get together at church and we would get together with friends and all that. And I'm just part of the boomer generation, you know, and all that. But I just kept gravitating to the, the, the folks in Generation X. And God gave me a heart and I would read about them, I would think about them, I would think about what's going on and my heart kind of broke. And I said, you know, somehow the church isn't reaching that generation. You know? And then I would go to conferences and I would look around. There were like all guys that, are, that were my age and, and older. And I thought, you know, where is this up-and-coming generation you know, known as Generation X? And I couldn't find them, you know. And I was like, oh, God. And, and, and God began to put something in my heart that, that eventually led to us starting this church. And it wasn't like God was saying, Mark, you got to reach Kaka'ako. You got to reach... I felt like God was saying, Mark, reach a generation. That I've called this church to reach generations. And that's what we're here to do. And that's what God has called us to do. And if we are going to change the world, change the world and be world changers as a church, we are called to reach generations. You know? And so that's why I look, and, and, and now I look, and, and I'm like, I'm like grandpa age almost already, sort of, kind of, maybe, yeah. Unless I stand next to Auntie Sally, then, you know, I'm just like a young buck. But, but <clears throat> you know, I look, and I, and I look at the generation that's growing up in their 20s and 30s. And they're right where I saw the generation called X was when we started this church. And I said, you know what? God has called us to reach that generation. 
that God has called us to reach that generation. And so when I look at the book of Nehemiah, I think there is something here for us. That there is an exhortation, there is a word that the Holy Spirit wants to give to us to, to energize us. To say, hey guys, it's not done yet. Hey, those of you who are here and are, and are not sent to go out on the church plant, it doesn't mean you just slack and you go, yay, we did it. No. That we got a, a gigantic test, a gigantic challenge ahead of us. And, and you know, God, is, God wants to, to give us something from this book. And so I, I just really want you to, to really, let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. You know, um, you've heard of that. Um, and I, I thought, I was thinking about this, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting that they had a whole campaign to, to educate us so that when you're on fire, you know what to do, right? Like, if you're ever on fire, and I don't know, I mean, I'm talking literally on fire, not like, you know, in basketball, you're on fire, you know, not, but you're like literally, oh, I'm on fire. What are you supposed to do? Those three words. See, stop, drop, and roll. We know that, right? And I thought, wow, you know, of all the things, you know, someone said, you know, I think people need to know what they do when they catch on fire. So you got to do stop, drop, and roll. Well, if we want to be world changers, I think from the book of Nehemiah, we're going to look at the first two chapters, you know, pretty much. We're just going to skim through that. But there's, there's something that we need to understand. You know, yeah, we stop, drop, and roll. But, but in order for us to be world changers, we got to sit, kneel, and stand. Yeah, you got to sit, kneel, and stand. And, and so that's what I believe God is saying to us. So I'm going to read. Je- uh, if I say Jeremiah, okay, this, this like, forget, you know, Mark's old, and he just always messes up. Because I don't know why I keep saying Jeremiah, not Nehemiah. I know they're, they're, it's close. But we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It reads this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in late Autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, oh, look, there's like a Hawaiian guy there. Hanani, <laughs> one of my brothers, yeah, see, if you're Hawaiian, you're like, are there Hawaiians? But there's one right there, Hanani, it was right there. But then Hanani was there and uh, came to visit uh, me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there and the cap- about, from the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem are in, you know, um, have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. See? And so when we see this, you know, Nehemiah was, was, was like... And, and in this passage and in, in, in chapter 2, we can learn, you know, how just three simple things on how we can really be used by God to be a world changer, right? So if you've got your notes, you can follow along. The first thing is this. You've got to sit down and cry. Sit down and cry. Yeah. I got this from Neil Murakami because every time I talk to Neil Murakami, he's always sitting down and crying. But um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. But... You got to sit down and cry. See, when Nehemiah heard this, I sat down and wept. Nehemiah was just so overwhelmed with emotion that when he heard the report about what was going on in Jerusalem, 
He just sat down and he wept. And he didn't weep for himself. Oh, woe with me. I'm feeling so sorry for my... No. He felt really... His heart broke for his city. His heart broke for his city. That here he was, far from Jerusalem, living in a luxurious palace. And he's just all comfortable. His life was really great. Life was great for him, you know. Unless someone was trying to poison the king, life was great for him. And it would have been so, so easy for Nehemiah to, to you know, to hear the report and go, holy cow, what a bummer. You know, my heart really goes out to them. And you know what? Maybe I should write a, a little check to them and, you know, to rebuild um, Jerusalem fund and, you know, send it and I could do that. And maybe I can send them some money or something to, to kind of help out and maybe to appease my guilt a little bit. You know, I could have done that. And they go, oh, yeah, oh, I, I, could, I could pray for them. You know, I, I really need to, I can just pray for them. You know, and uh, he could have easily done that. But what, but what Nehemiah did was he allowed, he opened his heart and he allowed his heart to be broken. That to feel the pain of the situation, his beloved city was a mess. The walls and the gates were down. And because of that, no matter what they were doing, it, they were very vulnerable. There was nowhere, no way to protect what was going on inside of the city because the wall's a mess. The question is, you know, how do you feel when you see the challenges all around you in our world? You know, one of the things that my wife always been saying to me in the last few days, man, there's so much violence. There's so much violence here in, our, in, in Hawaii. You know, every time she, she hears the news, you know, someone has... Someone has been murdered or some kind of violence has been going on. What do, you, what do you feel when you read or hear about the violence going on? What do you feel when you, you hear the news of maybe apparent corruption going on in our state? You know, what do you feel about the, the loss of righteousness and, and godly values? It seems like, you know, the, our city is going crazy. You know, what do you feel? What do you feel when you see the erosion of the family? What do you feel when you see and you know people around you who are struggling and hurting? What do you feel when you, when you hear of families and, 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 and people that you know who are just really like um, struggling in their marriages and in their family? You know, we all feel something. We all feel something. But, but it's, it's, it's almost too easy just to ignore what we see, and what's going on around us. We might feel like, man, this is too overwhelming. If I think about it, I'm just going to be depressed for days or, or whatever. And we just, maybe we try to not think about it. We might feel like, man, what, what can I do? You know, what can I do uh, in this situation? You know, and, and things can seem hopeless, right? You look around, and man, that's just hopeless. And the thing is that it's not hopeless. It really isn't because God has called us to make an impact in the world. And one of the things that I go back to over and over again, because, you know, there are times I'm like, man, God, really, I mean, I, I don't know. Are we really on the right track? You know, 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And I go back to that all the time. And I just say, okay, God, 
if you called us to do this, if you called me to do this, then I am going to bank and I'm going to put my trust in you who are faithful and you are going to do it. Yeah? You're going to do it. And, and if God calls us to something, that he will empower you and, and he will make it happen. He will give you the wisdom and the power to make a difference. That God will do it, but we've got to open up our hearts. That we've got to open up our hearts. We've got to see what's going on around us and it's got to affect us. That our hearts got to feel something. That our hearts have to be broken by what we see. That seeing all the junk going on around us in our world, our city, should just break our hearts. It broke Nehemiah's hearts. And it led him to this important next step. And the next step is what? You kneel. Yeah. You sit and you kneel. You kneel down and you pray and you fast. If you want to be a world changer, you got to, your heart, you got to open your heart. And your heart's got to be broken by what you see. And then you got to kneel down and you got to pray and fast. Because it's so easy to be overwhelmed by all the stuff going on and say, what can I do? And we need to understand what Nehemiah understood. That apart from God, it really is overwhelming. And it really is impossible. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John 15. He says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. And that's something God is making more and more clear to me. Mark, apart from me, you can't do anything. But Jesus also said this in Mark 10, verse 27. He says, humanly speaking, it's impossible. You look around in the city like, humanly speaking, Jesus is saying, it is impossible. But not with God. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And Nehemiah knew this. And he took this step and he kneeled down and he prayed and he fasted. That's what we read in Nehemiah 1.4, right? It says, when I heard this, I sat down, I wept. Not only that, it says, in fact, for days, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. And when things seem really bad and really desperate, it is so easy to give up. It's just so easy to give up or, or, out of desperation, we feel like we just got to do something, right? Like, and we just go crazy. We just, out of emotion or whatever, we go out and we do something and we just mess up. Or we just go like, can't do anything. And it's so, so, so important for us to seek God and ask him to lead and to guide us. Nehemiah's heart was broken. He's a man of action. Man, you got to know that he wanted to go out and do something. But what did he do? He did the best that he, he knelt and he sought the, sought the Lord. He felt the fear. He felt the urgency that something had to be done. But the best thing he did was he stopped and he prayed and he fasted to the God of heaven. And he didn't just shoot up a prayer. Right? That's what I so often do. Oh, no, what a bummer, Lord, and then off I go. For days, for days, he prayed 
and he fasted. No matter what the situation or circumstance, no matter how urgent, no matter how desperate it is, that, that we have this amazing privilege to go straight to God and ask for his help. That, let's get into the practice, all right? When, when we're in a tight situation, automatically we need to just go to God. Hebrews 4, 16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find the grace to help us when we need it the most. See, it's at the feet of Jesus that that's where the help comes from. And we cannot get all crazy. I got to do something. Nehemiah understood and he prayed. And he said, I got to pray, God. I just, what it, just look at my city. Look how messed up it is. Oh, God, if you want me to do something, I'll do whatever. And not only that, that he fasted. And fasting is essentially just giving up food or, or something else for a period of time as an act of, of humbling ourselves before God. And we just focus on God. And there's different reasons for fasting that we see in the Bible. Sometimes it's for repenting before God. It, it might be for seeking um, God during a really, really hard time. Or it might be for guidance or, or for, for favor. And that's what Nehemiah did. He was facing this really, really, really difficult situation. He didn't know what to do, and he chose to humble himself before God through prayer and fasting. And we see this all through the Bible. In Acts 13, verse 2, um, one day, you know, in Acts 13, verse 2, one day, as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. It was in their time of, of prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work <clears throat> to which I have called them. Such an important decision. They were going to two, take two of, of, of the most um, premier disciples and apostles, and, and they were going to go and send them out. And how did they know what to do and when to do it? It was because they were praying and fasting. They were praying and fasting. And that's what Nehemiah he humbled himself and he trusted in God and here's the thing God knows best God knows best he knows this situation is critical right and a lot of times I think God don't can't you see look how desperate the situation God's timing is perfect it took four months it took four months of Nehemiah kneeling and praying to God before God opened the door. He got the report. Jerusalem's in really bad shape. The walls, the city is vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack. And just when people are going back, you know, they could be, they could be taken captive again. You know, it's in ruins, the walls are. And Nehemiah heard that and he knelt down and he prayed and he fasted. God answered him four months later. Can you imagine? There's something very difficult that, that, that you're facing and, and you're praying, God, I need help. And God takes four months. God takes four months. But here's the thing. God, it was four months before God opened the door. But it took only 52 days to rebuild the walls and the gates of the city. It took just 52 days. 
would it have to, if, if Nehemiah had just said, I don't care, I just got to go back, and he digs back, how long would it have taken? Would it even have been completed? But in less than six months, this whole thing was done. Four months waiting for God, and then 52 days to rebuild the walls. God's timing is perfect. That his grace and his power makes the impossible possible. We're going to be world changers. We've got we've to sit and open our hearts and allow our hearts to be broken by what's going on. And then, instead of doing something really crazy, we just get on our knees, and we pray, and we even fast. We even fast. And then, after we pray and we fast, and then we get up, we stand up, and we act in obedience to God. We stand up, and we act in obedience to God. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Early the, next, the following spring... In the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Yo, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asks, the king, the king asks, how can I help you? How can I help you? And again, Nehemiah said, how you can help me? Shoot! And he, but what did he do? With a prayer to God of heaven. How can I help you? Just a minute, God. <laughs> right? If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king, you know, said, shoot, go ahead. What do you need? And we read about, because Jeremiah had been praying. I said Jeremiah. See, Nehemiah. (laughs) Cheryl, you didn't catch that? Wake up. You did, Dave? Good. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was actually shorter than Jeremiah. You know, he was Nehemiah. Anyway, so, anyway, but, but, but he had time. And, and when the king asked him, he says, you know, king, if it pleases the king, I would like to go back. But not only that, here's some things that might be necessary. He had time to think about stuff. And Nehemiah's heart broke over the disrepair of that city. He sat and he wept. And then he knelt and he prayed. And he sought God and God alone. And then when God opened the door, he stood up and acted in obedience to God. He didn't wait. He didn't say, oh man, I got to go send other people now. God had placed, God had placed a call, a burden on his heart, and really his misery turned to ministry. And so often that happens. God wants to take and turn our misery and turn it into ministry. That he saw something and he knew something had to be done, 
and someone had to do it, and God had called him, and so he stood up and he did something. And he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a king, he wasn't a warrior, he was an ordinary man who God called to an extraordinary task. And, and he knew that him plus God was enough. And so he stood up and he acted in obedience. We are in an exciting time where we're going to walk in God's call for us. And God has called us to be a church that sends out people into the world. And for some of you, God has called you to go with Max to start this church. For all of us, though, God is calling us to make an impact in the world around us. See, I didn't ask him, but I don't think he'd mind. But there's a, a guy in the back. His name is Lynn, right? And I respect Lynn Mariano. Why? Because he saw something. His heart broke for our city, right? And he decided that, you know what? Someone's got to do something. I'm going to do something. And he ran for office. Now, Max will tell you, running for office is not the funnest thing. Right? But God put something on your heart. God has called all of us to step out like that. All of us to make a difference. And it starts with us just looking around and allowing God to speak to us and allowing our hearts to be broken and not just be so insulated in this church and in the four walls of this comfortable church and think, man, I don't really care what's going on out there because I'm really comfortable in here, that we got to go out and we got to look around, that we need to go. And as we drive past, when I drive past Old Stadium Park and I see all these tents, it's so easy for me to say, man, it would be really hard for someone to walk on that sidewalk. Do my heart break for the, for the people and the family who are living there? You know? um, see, I'm really excited because I'm telling you right now that some of you are going to get a vision or something and God's going to put something in your heart and he's going to stir it up and the world's going to be different around you because you're going to get a vision, something that you look at and you say, no, 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 it just cannot be like that. I'm not okay by that. It is not right. Someone's got to do something about this and maybe I'm the one who's supposed to do something. And when you get to that point, you just stop and you, and you sit and you weep and you say, God, this is not all right with me. And then you, 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 you kneel, and you kneel, and you pray, and you, say, and you fast, and you say, God, do you see what's going on in my city? Do you see what's going on in my school? Do you see what's going on in my office? Do you see what's going on in my neighborhood? And, and, and you pray. And when God says, all right, I got something I would like you to do, and we stand up, we stand up, and we act in obedience. You see, what's God's putting, what is God putting on your heart? What, what are you 
feel, not what do you see. What do you feel when you look at our city? You know, a few weeks ago, there was a very sobering conference put on by Explicit Movement that some of you attended. We found out that, that there is sex trafficking, trafficking going on in most every middle and high school in our state, in our city here. And, and it's not just public schools. It's private schools. And it's not just these, this small group of, oh, maybe they're runaways. No, they're like just happening to just regular children in our schools. And an ordinary woman named Michelle Okimura saw what was going on with the youth, not just that, but just in the youth in general, and it broke her heart. And she prayed, and she sought God, and she felt God's leading and, and the burden of our children in our state, and she started an organization called Explicit Movement with the mission to support the rising generation and families to foster sexual purity and healthy relationships that glorify God and bring hope to the light, uh, and hope and light to the world. And they put on conferences and things for, for our youth, for parents and the church here in Hawaii, because they want to make a difference. And they are. That God is using Michelle, an explicit movement, um, um, to, to really glorify God and to bring hope to people and, and to make a difference. Um, I wanted to encourage you to an upcoming event that is not necessarily an explicit uh, event, but it, but it really is an event that's coming up, that's putting on. So I just want to show a real quick um, promo on, on, a, on an event that's coming up that, you know, you parents and people might want might to go. Aloha, everybody. I just want to encourage you to go that's to the Kingdom Kids dad. Workshop by Michelle Okimura. I went there with my wife, Mari, and we were blown away. We were transformed. It has changed my life. It's changed my family's life. It's changed our congregation. I took my kids to the Kingdom Kids Conference. We had an amazing experience. Our kids went to it, and they learned about opening up the hearts of their children. And we discovered how prophetic one of their sons was, one of our grandsons. My kids came back super excited. They wanted to apply those things right away in their life, and they were just beaming and ready to go and hit the streets of Waianae. So he began to start prophesying, getting pictures, and these words have been so powerful, it has affected our entire family. We learned that at Kingdom Kids, many other families are going to learn these kinds of things. Powerful, amazing, spirit-filled tools that can help us transform our families so we can transform our churches and transform our communities. So parents, we want to encourage you to come out, especially pastors, come. I would encourage you to go. I strongly encourage that every adult and church leader come to this workshop. If you equip yourself, then you're better able to equip your children, your youth, to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Come to Kingdom Kids Workshop and learn how to practically mentor your children and youth on topics such as learning how to hear God's voice, walking in their true identity, experiencing the loving heart of the Father, experiencing how God can heal their heart, and how they can walk powerfully as ministers alongside adults, and much more. Hope to see you there. You know, that's coming up. I want to encourage you to get, you know, go on their, their website, and, and you might want um, to register. You know, the whole deal with that is unleashing the potential of our children. That's what that is. It's not a parenting seminar, you know, uh, they just had one, 
but this um, but this is this is more like just you know just seeing the potential for our children and so that's something that you might want to consider you know um, uh, you will hear more from Michelle she's coming to speak here at our church in July um, so I'm really excited about that but God has called all of us to make a difference that God has called this church to that's why we exist as a church there's no other reason that we exist other than that we are called to make a difference in the world around us. You know, for me, um, you know, when I look at what God is doing, um, it is worth everything to me. It is worth giving my time, energy, and resources. You know, it's worth living for and it's worth dying for to me. And in Philippians chapter 1, you know, more and more as I I get older, I guess, I I can really understand in in greater ways what, what Paul was saying in Philippians 121 that for me to live, uh, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even, be- even better. You know, let's make an impact that God, just, you know, let's, just make an imp- let's just make the impact that God has called us to make, that God has given each and every one of us, you know, that he's given you a call for your life. He created you for a purpose. And, and God is saying to us, let's now begin to open our eyes and open our hearts to see the world around us and let our hearts be broken. But let's not stop there. Let's stop and kneel and pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And when God calls us to do something, we stand up and we go for it. See, that's what God has called us to do. God has called us to make an impact. And we will because it's all about God, right? The one who calls us is faithful, and he is going to do it. God has called us to make a difference, and that's what we're going to do. All right, so let's pray. Father, thanks. Thank you for your amazing call. Father, I pray right now that you would, that you would open, that you would speak to our hearts, that we open our hearts to you, to see what's going on around us. And that we see the challenges around us, but we don't do and we don't do things the way and do what we want to do. That we want the very best. We want your very best. And so help us to stop and help us to sit and help us to kneel. To kneel and to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And that when we hear your voice, that we would stand in obedience to you and we would act and we would do something. That's what you've called us to do as a church. I pray for your amazing grace that we would accomplish everything that you have called us to do. And you saying to us, this is not the end, this is the beginning and it's time for us to move out and to truly make a difference. And that's what we're going to do. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.